0: What is up, everybody? I wanted to take a second to share with you an upcoming event I am hosting that I am beyond excited for. On May 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are hosting our next Breathe With Cannabis event, and this month's theme is that of authenticity. Now, for those that are hearing about these workshops for the first time, they are a two and a half hour live cannabis and breathwork ceremony hosted online that you can attend right from the comfort of your own living room with an amazing community of like-minded individuals from all around the world. These workshops are an absolutely incredible way for any of you who have been looking to open up the psychedelic powers I speak of often with regards to cannabis on the show, to be able to do so, and we want you to experience it for yourself. To find out more info on this month's theme, the breakdown of the event, and to register and save your spot, Head to the link in the show notes, and I am so looking forward to guiding all of you into a more authentic expression with the help of the powers of cannabis and breathwork. Enjoy the show. Greetings, my brothers and sisters sending gratitude to all of you who are joining in today to accompany us down the rabbit hole of self-exploration through plant medicines. My name is Ryan Sprague, and I'm here to tell you that your frequency is now set and tuned to explore psychedelic medicines and the impact they've made among the countless psychonauts exploring the last true frontier. Buy a ticket and take the ride with me as we get true firsthand accounts of the experiences, benefits, Risks and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines. On this one time on psychedelics, I imagine everyone listening to this show at this time can think back to a time where they met someone, and it felt as though you had somehow known each other already, as if you were simply picking up where you left off in another lifetime. These are one of the many mystical occurrences that, when they happen within my life, remind me that they are much bigger mysterious forces at play within our collective experience of life these are the times in which i experience synchronicity and serendipity which i choose to believe are the language of the universe speaking directly to me and giving me the metaphorical wink and smirk that a dear friend who knows exactly what our soul is craving would give when we are in need of a good cosmic giggle buying the ticket and taking the ride with us today on the show is a gentleman who when i first chatted with gave me these exact feelings Our dialogue flowed as if we were long lost brothers finding each other once more in the infinite sea of possibilities that is the universe at large. And I knew after having him on Highly Optimized that we needed to jump down the rabbit hole into mysteries surrounding his plant medicine experiences, what they opened up for him, what he has learned about himself as a result, and other mutual curiosities we have surrounding the subject of life as a whole. For those of you that are looking for cosmic laughter in your experience of life at this moment, this episode is sure to fill that cup unleash your inner child, and set your cruise control directly into the state of vacation vibration with us. So strap on your curiosity caps and give me a loving hand and welcome you, my man, Ty Nicholson, to the show. Ty, my man, what is good?
1: (laughs) What is good is your intros, my man. Like, wow. (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) need to get you hired for, you know, just setting me up with my morning routines. I could listen to that every day, that's for sure.
0: Hell yeah, man. You know, service coming to a uh, platform near you is just me waking you up every day. You know, <laughs> Ty Nicholson, That's it's time to wake more, up. That's <laughs> you said yesterday you were going to wake up at 6am and it is now 6am. Get your butt out of bed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Hell yeah, oh, well, man. cool, man. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Absolutely,
0: man. You know, it was an easy decision. You know, I've told Alex, uh, you know, Morningstar, for those listening who might not know that he's my business partner, but, uh, but you know, because I've talked about him before, but, you know, I was telling Alex that, uh, you know, there's certain people that I podcast with, like I love every podcast I do, right? But there are certain people, especially other podcast hosts, let's be real, right, that just understand how to have a really fun dialogue, where I can just be talking off the cuff. And then at a certain point, I'll be complete. And then you just come in. And it's just this flow, right? Like, there's no like, you know, of course, there's questions that I'll ask and things like that. But you know, when I first started podcasting, you know, I was much more anxious about it. Like, you know, what are people going to think of me and all that stuff. And so I was much more apt to do an interview style, right, where I would literally Mm -hmm. spend like three hours researching and writing out questions for that individual. And there's nothing against that, right? But it was just like, you know, I kind of mapped my roadmap out before it even started, right? And it didn't give much room for the flow and for the divine to take over. And so part of what I did with this podcast is told myself like, listen, Rai, if you're going to have two podcasts, you straight up can't do that. Negation, acknowledge, and accept it, right? Like, so it was almost like I did two podcasts and I started a second one specifically to get myself out of that pattern. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it was similar sort of story with, with Marshall as well. At the start, I had it all sort of structured and out. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let things flow. If, they, if the podcast goes well, then sweet. If not, then I might use it for something else on my social media. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's funny because what I've learned about myself during that time is that what podcasting has done for me and plant medicines, of course, too, but all of these things coming together has, Mm -hmm. you know, really jumping into the fear, right? Because we talk about, you know, fear in the self-development world a lot, right? And I know you, you know, do a lot of this too. And, you know, you're out there crushing shit. And as Alex and I like to say, you're out there banging, right? And, you know, trying new stuff out, right? And we heard in Highly Optimized your story about, I think they were called fly-ins, right? Like what you were doing at that time. Yeah, like like leaving fly-ins, even though you were like making lots of money and then starting something new. Like there's fear that comes along with that, right? Like anything we start, there's gonna be fear. And I think a lot of people, or I'll speak for myself, I think I fell into the trap of like, well, I'll know that what really like lights my soul up when it doesn't make me fearful. And it's actually the complete opposite I've found, right? Like the things that make me more fearful, oh, that's exactly what
1: I must do. <laughs> yeah, great, great book for that one is The Obstacle is the Way. Have you read that one?
0: I've heard of it. Um, I, I listened to an interview. I don't know if it was on Impact Theory or something where the author, uh, I believe was on there. And so I heard something about it, but I've, I, I actually forgot about it until this moment. So that's getting written down in the notes right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, man, it's a a great little book, but it's it's predominantly, as you summed it up there, going for the obstacle because that is the way for growth, and that's when you know that you're in a true growth path. If there's no anxieties coming up, if there's no stresses coming up in your life, then that's a sure-tail sign that you're just plateauing, you're baselining, or you're going backwards. I want to know that, oh, shit, this is stretching me a little bit this week or next week. Because then I know that I'm pushing my boundaries so that I can adapt as a human being so that you've you've got that growth path,
0: yeah, you know Rachel and I talk about this a lot because you know we're both doing our own businesses, and I know you'll know this language well sometimes <clears> she'll <throat> ask me because i I like to really have a full plate, like I like to be like redlining like i I have a thing mm. for it, right, and you know i've worked through a lot of stories with it and everything but but I do enjoy it right, like it feels good to go open wide open throttle right and you know, the way that I phrase it now with language is that I enjoy finding my edges, right? And I enjoy, you know, spreading those edges a little farther, right? Like, I know, because of like creating connect with cannabis, right, that I I now know how much I can work in one week, right? And then like, now adding mm-hmm. on the science modules, like, oh, now I know I can even work more than that, right? And also balance, mm-hmm. like, you know, eating healthy, exercising seven days a week, you know, meditating, sticking in my rituals, having a beautiful relationship with my partner, Rachel, like, having incredible friends, you know, traveling, like, you know, it feels good to know that, like, you can do all that, right? Like, it doesn't mean you have to always be doing those things. But it's nice to know that when it's time when it's go time, mm-hmm. right? Like
1: that you have the sauce, right?
2: <laughs> so to yeah, speak.
1: you you've got that superpower today. You've got that ability to, to go redline. And I'm I'm the same, I love that red line. <laughs> yeah. So fast, I reckon. And and then, then I take my periods of time where okay, now I need to chill, relax, just go for a surf, do breath work and completely switch off then redline again. That's how I like doing things.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. And and that's like, you know, we hear that saying a lot, your yes has no power until you learn to say no. And 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 while that's powerful enough, I made it more personal for me, which was your on has no power until you learn to turn off, right? And so like that is the yeah. the metaphorical statement of yin and yang wrapped into a personal affirmation, right? Which is like, Ryan, it's great as we're talking about to be able to redline. And I think we talked about this a lot in your podcast too, right? To be able to redline, mm-hmm. but it's also equally, if not even more important to really be a master of relaxation. And that is something that cannabis specifically has helped me with a lot in my journey, because what I realized when I found myself in patterns of unconscious use with cannabis was that, oh, I'm simply relying unconsciously on cannabis to help me relax. Once I was able to do that, I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, let's go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Let's not use any cannabis for a period of months. And then when I realized it's like, oh, wow. I really suck at this whole relaxing thing. And so then ever (laughs) since then, for the last two years, you know, I've, I've chosen to interact with cannabis on weekends. Uh, and usually I was always a nighttime user only. So, you know, but, but every once in a while, you know, on the weekend, I'll throw my routine to the side and I'll go for like a walk interacting with cannabis and just explore nature as if it's my first time looking at it. And you know, what I've realized Mm. is that Oh, like what this plant to use cannabis as an example. And of course we'll get into many psychedelics, but what cannabis in particular has been able to teach me is that it's really like my Mr. Miyagi for relaxation. Like, Hey, when you're relaxing, this is what it feels like. And the big aha moment Mm -hmm. I had recently was that it feels exactly like when I'm fully relaxed on cannabis, it's the exact same feeling I get when I'm fully in the present moment, even when I'm sober. So it was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. cannabis invokes presence. Oh, like, it's like, these are the lessons that I've learned through. I mean, that's just one plant medicine, but plant medicines in general have taught me pretty much everything we're talking about right now. What fear is, uh, where my edges are, uh, how to move through fear, how to laugh at the devil. Right. And also how to relax. Right. And how to, you know, stay in my silly self, not take myself too seriously. Right. Know when to essentially with the lion, like know when to hunt and also know when to hang back and be on vacation vibration. And those things are so powerful. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the world far and wide. I wanted to take a second as you're listening to this three-part series on conscious cannabis consumption to share with you an amazing new opportunity we have for each of you. On May 16th, our waitlist opens up for our next enrollment period of the Conscious Cannabis Collective, and we have some awesome bonuses that you'll want to hear about. To find out more info and to prepare to join the waitlist when it opens up on the 16th, head down to the link in the show notes and check it out today. Now back to the show.
1: Yeah, man. and I love that you you know you brought that up to your awareness that it was helping you have that presence. And that's come up for me as well because one of my favorite things to do is go surfing, right? And that to me, that is a sport that is pretty unique in a way that that is something that I'm completely in flow state. and I'll be like three hours, feels like it's just gone. Because I'm so present right there and then. Like if you're not present while you're surfing and it's a decent size size sort of wave, you can get pretty hurt. So if you're not on full awareness of your, you know, your spatial awareness, then you're gonna get smoked. So I love surfing for that. But then combining the two of cannabis and surfing, like that's like if it's a nice sunny day, small waves, you've got your mail out like that is, that is some serious bliss and relaxed time and, and and presence. It's it's amazing. And I think that's why a lot of surfers have that coloration between, you know, smoking weed and going surfing because it it just puts you in the moment and you're fucking grateful to be there. <laughs> yes, dude. You know, my equivalent of that, uh, I've always been like, I've always had this
0: weird, irrational fear of sharks, uh, which actually, I guess, isn't too irrational now because, you know, over the last like 10 years, it might be less than that, but roughly 10 years. Boston, like Massachusetts, specifically Cape Cod, has now become like essentially like, all right, here's what happened, right? So uh, I guess there's always been a very small amount of sharks that come up this way. And so then Jaws was made, right? And Jaws was filmed off the coast of uh, Boston on Martha's Vineyard, similar to how, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot, you know, when he first came out with, I like big butts and I cannot lie, the trend was to be (laughs) skinny, right? Like very, very skinny, right? In the 80s. And then that comes out and now the trend is like to be like muscular and thick, right? And so it's like mm. funny how like when a bunch of people are unconsciously, maybe so consciously as well, chanting the same thing, it brings it into reality, right? So we create jaws, we create all this hysteria on the Cape for like sharks. And now it's like literally we beat out Australia in uh population of great white sharks in the summer. It's like, it's like so crazy that like, Pretty much in the Cape, there's just beaches, but they're like, hey, man, uh, just don't go in there. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a super common fear for people as well, isn't it? The, the shark the shark vibe. And I've had a, a couple of moments with sharks, but nothing too bad. The, the scariest moment that I've ever had with a shark, because I used to do crayfish diving up in the Torres Straits as well. So would on, in certain areas, it would be about 20 meters underwater. And there was this one time that I was under, and when you crayfish dive in, you've literally just got a bag and you're shoving crays in it. You're pulling them off the reef and then just chuck them in a bag. That's it. So you don't have any weapons or nothing. So I'm 20 meters under, right? I see this big school of fish go like flying past me. And I was just like, oh, what is chasing that? Or are they just going for a cruise? So there's this big like six to eight foot shark, you know, chasing these fish. And I'm under there with a handful of bait 20 meters <laughs> under and you can't go flying up because that can also give you a niggle. You get oxygen to the brain and you could die from that as well. <laughs> so I'm like, oh shit. So I was just literally hanging onto this rock with this bag of bait pretty much. And I slowly got to the top But it didn't, it didn't attack me on anything. But that's probably the scariest moment I've ever had with a shark. But all in all, statistically, you've got a way higher chance dying in a car crash, driving to the beach to go for a swim or a surf even being a pedestrian like i was looking at the stats as well you've got more chance of dying as a pedestrian than what you do from a shark attack yeah (laughs) i'll I'll take my chances (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah, man and you know you know i'm so glad we're
0: talking about these things right that have instilled fear in us right and you know for me like this irrational fear of sharks and and you know one could argue Mm -hmm. rational but but like you were saying right the Mm -hmm. the statistics are you actually don't have that much likelihood of being attacked by a shark, let alone dying. Right? Yeah, it happens, but mm. we forget the seven and a half billion people on the planet. Right? Like, of course, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, anything is happening at any one time. But I think one of the things that, or rather, I know that one of the things that's helped me so much with moving past my fears is interacting with psychedelic medicines. And you know, mm. I have to give myself some credit for doing so unintentionally. The first, you know, few years. I mean, God, over ten years ago. Now that I started interacting with these medicines, because. You know, in those times were the times that I was like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. And then fear can really hit you. And so I got to experience yeah. what like true fear was, you know, true perception anyway that I was dying, true perception that, you know, I would never come back, you know, things like that. And it was in those experiences that I was actually able to integrate like, okay, well, I did come back. Okay, well, you know, I wasn't actually dying, right? So so what was that thing I felt, right? Like, is it simply a physiological response mm-hmm. that we could chop up as cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline, all those things? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Or is it primordial in nature, right? Is it is it deeper than that? And, you know, that's one thing I'm really excited to get into with you is, you know, when you first started interacting with psychedelics, I'd love to hear like how you first became introduced to them in general, but also what was the first time that you felt true fear on psychedelics? I'm really excited to hear that story. Tonight.
1: Mm, yeah, let's get into this. Yeah. All right. So when I first started interacting with anything outside of cannabis, it was it was mushroom and I had quite a bit of fear around psychedelics because I hadn't partaken in them, and you know the media share things and your parents and whatnot because they've been fed that media and said you know you'll go psycho and you'll be yeah you know in a straitjacket in a mental institution if you you know go the wrong way with it. So that was my whole headspace around it, and I was just like, well, oh, damn, okay. And when I was living in Bali, I got. A friend, I had a friend there and he he was like, hey man, do you want to have some mushrooms with me? So this was not like a ceremonial setting or nothing like that whatsoever. So we're having beers and having a bit of a party. And I was like, oh man, I don't know about that. He's like, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So I was <laughs> like, all right, cool. And we, we went, went ahead and I just had like half a bag of mushrooms. And I, I don't even know what the dosage of it was. Whatever it was, were about eight or 10 beers deep. So. Just straight up fresh mushrooms, down the gob, and they tasted horrible. That was my first my, my first thought about it. And I went into it and then I kind of, you know, you forget that you've had something because it doesn't kick in straight away or anything like that. So I was like cruising along and then like, wow, things are starting to look pretty. And the, the colors are nice. I was like, this is a bit of a party now. Like, Sweet. Cool. This is similar to ecstasy. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> and then I was, you know, talking a bit more, all that sort of jazz. And then it got to a point where I was like, started to feel anxious. And I was like, oh, where's it? Where's this coming from? And I, I had to leave single pin. And it was just in my head, I was like, what is actually going on? And I was driving a scooter, right, after <laughs> oh eight God. or 10 beers and half a bag of mushrooms. Right? <laughs> One of my first, or, or this was my first time that I'd actually partaken in it. And I was driving along and I literally felt like I was in Mario Kart. You know, if any of your listeners have been to Bali, like it's pretty loose over there. It, it can be. And I was driving along the streets, like all these signs and that just looked like I was literally in Mario Kart. Mario <laughs> Kart. And I was like, oh, dude, I need to go to my spot. I hadn't gone very far. I was only like a, half a kilometer. I've driven on this scooter, probably 10 k's an hour. Yeah. And I was like, I need to go sit at Uluwatu there and just look off the cliff like that's what I feel like where I need to be and I just had like this complete like overwhelming feeling of anxiety and like as you said that you've had as well like death and all those sorts of things every single fear that I felt like I'd ever had up until that point just like rushed over me and I just did not know how to deal with it I remember sitting there on the edge of the cliff with my head in my hands just going when's this going to end when this going to end and I had no coaching around it like you know it, it will pass over a few hours all that sort of jazz so that was my first experience there's a bunch of fear coming up around it I'd, I'd had beers leading into it so I didn't really have any intention set for it none of that so that was my first experience with it and after that I was just like I don't want to go near those things again that, that was fun so you know Half an hour at the club. And then after that, it was just like all hell had broken with <laughs> yeah. in, in my thought patterns. And then I was just like, oh wow. So that that was my really my first experience with psilocybin on a on a psychedelic level.
0: Wow, man. You know, it's amazing to hear these stories, right? Because, you know, in a big way, the challenge around these things, the biggest challenge we face is that of prohibition, right? Because what prohibition does is it neglects the side of hey people are going to do these things it's not an argument right like it's not like hey if we make these things illegal people are going to do i mean let's face it people in the philippines are still interacting with drugs even though they'll literally get killed over there for it right so Mm. people are going to interact with these substances because it's it's in our nature it's in our dna i mean our ancestors have been interacting with Mm. these types of things for years and humans are curiosity machines right like we get curious on things and so one of the biggest challenges I found with prohibition is that it it fails to give any real credible education on what these things can do, right? Now, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, and I imagine everyone knows this, but I'm not saying that people should be like, oh, yeah, just do them all the time. They're great, right? Like, I mm-hmm. feel like there's a balance here where it's like, hey, these things can be amazing or they can be traumatizing, right? Right. Uh, like teaching Mm -hmm. people about set and setting, teaching people about the power of intention, teaching people about like, Hey, this is your first time. Probably don't do it alone, right? Like, make sure you have a guide who can like watch you. And if you come into any challenges with fear or whatever, they're right there. They're in a, either a sober state of mind or they're a professional shaman who understands how to Sherpa you in that journey and be there with you and, you know, be able to bring you back because really like, you know, the way that I look at psychedelics is that you know, and this can happen with meditation too and astral travel, right? We don't even need to be in a altered state of consciousness, but when we're doing that, we're opening ourselves up. And it's almost like if normally we're just standing here, when we interact with a psychedelic, it's almost like we're holding on to the power of like 10,000 helium balloons and we're kind of just taking off, right? And where we go depends on what the wind direction is. It depends on if there's a storm coming, it depends on so many different things, infinite different things, right? But the thing is a shaman, or a, you know, really great medicine practitioner understands where you're going, right? Because I know for people that, you know, have yet to interact Mm -hmm. with this, uh, or, you know, are unaware of like a spiritual practice, like, you know, yeah, this can seem really qualitative and kind of like out there, right? But there is actually like quantifiable means if you look at a lot of the different lineages, like we were talking about before we, you know, hit record about, you know, where you go when you're traveling on these medicines, right? The fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh spiritual dimensions, the Akashic zone, I mean, all of these different areas you go to that, you know, are able to be worked through and navigated. And so, you know, a good shaman or a good guide is going to be able to go, oh, I know exactly where ties that. Okay. I know the specific prayer to bring him back to the next dimension where he can kind of like make, it's a little more dense of a reality. So, you know, you can be like, okay, I know I'm still a human. Okay. I'm not dying. Boom. Then from there, it's like, okay, now you can have a good time again. Right. And then eventually maybe you're ready to go back up to where you were. Right. But, you know, it's this, you know, we talk about integration with regards to coming out of the experience, but there's also a certain level of integration that goes into the actual experience, right? Because you're integrating, you're disintegrating from typical reality and you're integrating into a different altered state of reality. And so, you know, that's something I think about often because, you know, if we, if we have no idea where we're going and this is why, you know, I highly recommend, you know, or suggest rather that anyone who's interested, first of all, find the guy, do all that stuff, but also like, when you're in a very sober state of mind like start getting curious and start researching like the lineages and figuring out like Mm -hmm. would you you know if you want to be a mechanic right would you just hop right into taking apart an engine or would you research it first right like oh what kind of car do i have right first of all um you know is this a four-cylinder a six-cylinder an eight-cylinder right And then in that same regard, like maybe I should have someone there who's taken apart an engine before, because like, you know, what if I like, you know, end up putting it back together and I have 18 different pieces that didn't go into the final product, right? Like what happens there? And so like, you know, that's why I love it. It's, it's a, it's a, a multifaceted approach that I like to take to these myself. And, you know, that's like the best suggestion I think I can give for anyone listening is like, you know, yes, finding a guide is amazing, right? Like you will be essentially safe. If you find a guide so long as that guide is actually what they say they are. Right. And of course, do your research into where you're going, but it also really helps to like, have some information or some awareness on like what they might be doing. Like, so when you see them doing a certain thing, you're like, Oh, I learned about this in this lineage. Like I know what that's doing because then Mm -hmm. it allows you to make more sense of it. And it allows you to once again, break fear, free of fear. Right. Because you know, a lot of people say knowledge is power, but it's really applied knowledge, right? That is power. And so the more that you can apply this knowledge into any space, especially the plant medicine space, ultimately the more enjoyable experience you're gonna have, not necessarily because it won't be challenging, but because you'll be like, ah, there's those challenges. Okay, cool. I know that this contrast that I'm experiencing is simply consciousness waking up. And so as soon as I'm like, I'm getting boomerang down, right? So yes, right now I'm feeling this down and I know exactly what's coming next. So I'm gonna tune into the emotions, cry, scream, whatever. And then boom, I'm going to be laughing hysterically with cosmic laughter probably five minutes from now.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah, man. And and having that understanding there, that, that brought up a fair bit for me. And where my whole journey of understanding plant medicine on a deeper level and looking at it on a ceremonial setting and finding, you know, the, the right set setting and having a guide there, all that sort of stuff was towards the end of my complementary medicine degree. So my last... Thesis that I did was on entheogens, so I got to go super deep for my last assignment on everything psychedelics, and that's what brought it up to me. I was like, "Oh shit!" I've tried this a few times, like psychedelics. I've had acids and what and whatnot at festivals, all that sort of stuff, but I've never had it in a setting where it's been controlled or not not controlled, but it's been in a certain setting that got intentions around it, it's got integration and all that sort of jazz, right? So that's what opened my eyes up to it. And then listening to a lot of podcasts, reading more books, diving right into maps.org, all of the, the medical literature, I was like, okay, I think I am ready to try out Ayahuasca. And it was a couple months before I got the invitation and that's completely fine. I don't want to go forcing that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up going for my first ayahuasca retreat at the start of this year. And that was a completely different experience than I had, had prior. And I had a couple of mushroom journeys with my partner, Sky, and we sat there, had a nice set and setting. We did it together. We journaled all that sort of stuff, and it was absolutely bliss. But one thing I do want to talk about is this ayahuasca journey because it was, it was pretty interesting and and what I thought, because I'd, I'd done a lot of my, my last assignment on it, I'd done all this reading of books and listen to podcasts, like listen to all this stuff. I was like, cool. I know when I get to this certain point, I'll just surrender and it'll all be okay and the medicine will do its work and I'll be fine, right? So I'd signed up to this retreat. It's a three-day retreat and we were to sit with Ayahuasca each night and it was a full You know, setting it was mainly Brazilians there, and then a few Australians, and it was one of the ones where they're singing all throughout the night. There, you know, it's it was it was amazing. So I've gone in, I had my first couple of cups of ayahuasca, and I was sitting there and I felt absolutely terrible. So that's that's my whole experience. The whole night was absolutely like tough. It was really hard, and I just felt sick, but I didn't fully purge. And I was just, just had headache. I was having visions, but it wasn't like the fun loving, like, this is great. This is fantastic. It was like, this is fucking tough the whole way through. And I had set the intentions prior to it to deal with some of my childhood and just, just see what came up throughout that. And it wasn't until the sun was coming up the next day as when I, actually had surrendered. So I went through 10 hours of absolute, just tough work <laughs> <laughs> until the next morning. And what happened, and I realized that I was holding back my perch. So when I, when I really did, I don't know what it was, or maybe it was self-conscious of spewing in, in a group of people, any of that sort of stuff. So I don't know what exactly it was, but when I did fully let go was like, into the bucket, it was all kind of sweet. I was like, oh, that was a bit of a weight lifted off my shoulders. And from childhood conditioning, I had always been told, "Don't you cry, or I'll give you something to cry about." Mm. So that was my whole upbringing. But every time that you know I'd hurt myself, or you know I was in trouble from from my old man for something I'd done at school, that was it. They'd give me a flogging. Don't you cry? Or I'll really give you something to cry about. So that was all of my emotions coming up at that time. And what happened after that big purge? I stood outside. The sun was coming up, and it was absolutely like gloomy. It was raining, and I just went out and stood in the rain and looked up at the sky, and had the biggest blubbering mess of a cry. You know, those like full body cries where you just completely uh, yeah. (laughs) And I hadn't cried for a couple of years prior to that. Like it was, it's been quite rare for me to have that emotional release of crying, and when I surrendered with the medicine had that big purge I went out and stood in nature and I I truly felt love for the first time like completely wholly not just from anything but with myself and comfortable in my own skin and that realization it was just like rainbow tears coming out everywhere it just felt like and I was just like this feels and then it was just into that bliss state so even though it was tough the whole night up, up until that moment, it was hundred percent worth it, but it was not easy. And to me, as we're talking about being on that growth path, anxiety is coming up, and, and we know if we're on a growth path or we're plateauing. That's what happened for me there. That was the pinnacle of me pushing to the end of like holding on to things and pushing my emotions down. It's the same thing I did that whole night, even though I had all the the books, smart and whatnot. You don't know what you're going to get till you you know what you get.
2: <laughs> yes,
1: and. That's what came up for me and it was just complete, just utter bliss after that for me and having that big release and cry. And and now I have had the ability to cry more regularly. However, I'm still working on being able to bring up those emotions. And as men, it's, it's quite tough with the condition that we have, you know, throughout our whole life. Be tough, don't show weakness. What is
0: up, ladies and gentlemen? I wanted to stop by while I had your ear and share a very special announcement with you. You may have heard people say that we are facing an epidemic of loneliness in the world right now. We believe that this is only half of the story and that the real epidemic and the root of feeling loneliness is a lack of connection. Do you want to connect to more purpose and passion with the important work you are doing? Do you wish you had closer friendships with people who understand you, listen to you, and are truly present with you? Are you wishing you and your partner could move deeper into love together? The connection in all of these areas comes down to the one most important element of connection, the ability to connect with yourself. If you are ready to see change in your life, if you are ready to feel differently when you wake up in the morning, if you are ready to step into the life you envision for yourself, the first and only route to making these changes is settling in, quieting down, and being able to connect to yourself. Now, this can be a major challenge in today's world with media, culture, and other energies that pull us out of our ability to connect. When you've tried fitness, meditation, and other self-development practices and still find yourself feeling alone and lacking connection, you may be feeling out of options and wondering if you'll ever be able to tap into your full potential that you know deep down is possible in your life. What we have found in working with our clients is that plant medicines, and cannabis in particular, can guide us in having the experience of what true connection looks and feels like. In this way, cannabis can act as a rite of passage for connection and a gateway toward the spouse, tribe, mission, and life you know you are ready for. Now the pitfall here is that many people become codependent on the medicines, such as cannabis, and expect the medicine to do the work for them. If this continues, what will happen is the user will find themselves reaching for more and more cannabis to feel connection without taking ownership of their role in the outcome of their experience, and thus, they will fall into repeating the same painful patterns. As Zen Buddhism teaches, how you do anything is how you do everything. Therefore, if this painful pattern is showing up in your relationship with cannabis, it is likely a reflection of the same patterns you're experiencing in your friendships, romantic relationships, business and your relationship with yourself learning to work with cannabis effectively will supercharge your experience and will help you get the result you are actually seeking which is connection we created a program to support seekers and high achievers like you in doing exactly this to learn how to work with the healing power of cannabis to connect you back to yourself so you can unlock purpose passion and creativity in all areas of your life what this program will give you is the long lost user manual for cannabis This user manual will teach you how to connect with cannabis correctly so that the plant can act as your spiritual aid and ally in life, just as our ancestors understood and practiced. If you're ready to unlock the full power of cannabis, meet like-minded people on the same path as you, build more purpose into your life, and have the most fun doing homework you've ever had, this message is for you. To learn more and qualify for your spot in the program, Hop over to our Instagram profile at highly.optimized and book a discovery call. The Conscious Cannabis Revolution is here. Will you be joining us? Sending all of you love. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad we live in the modern day where like not only are men, you know, being told to cry, but it's also kind of become like the cool thing it's like, Hey, you're going to be stronger. If you cry, you better cry. Like, it's almost like we're going to the opposite end of the spectrum. And like, I would much rather that end than the other end. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a similar experience on mushrooms. Uh, the last time I sat with mushrooms with my partner, Rachel, and you know, I had gained a lot of awareness when I went to Mexico, I sat with peyote and that was pretty much my experience of peyote, but I never broke through. It was just like incredible nausea. Like, and I'm not, I don't get nauseous Mm. often. I have a very strong stomach. I've done plenty of combo, So I'm like, I thought anyway, and maybe again, maybe I'm naive, but I thought in my head, I'm like, just puke, man. Like just puke. Like it's fine. Like you've done combo like tons of times you can do this. And Mm. I don't know if it was because like, It was like a lot, right? I'm in a different country for, I mean, not the first time in my life, but one of the first times it's the middle of the pandemic, right? Like, so, you know, a lot of that's going on. Luckily I was with, like, it was amazing. Like they have the best set and setting and Mm -hmm. I would, you know, highly recommend this place to anyone. But like, you know, I was with some really dear friends. I was obviously with Rachel too. And, uh, but you know, I think what it was for me is that I didn't do enough research on peyote before I went down there because You know, I had always known peyote to be a purger, right? Not as much as ayahuasca, but Mm. similar, right? And I remember right before the experience, I mentioned that to another guy there. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm expecting I'm going to purge. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no, man, you don't purge peyote at all. And I was like, what? And then that kind of got in my head, I think. Like I got in my own head. So when I was getting nauseous, I was like, this isn't what's supposed to be happening type thing, you know? And at the same time, I'm like, but just do it, right? But I'm like, but how do I know it's okay? And then literally like, So we probably go four or five hours through where I'm just like, literally like they're singing beautiful songs. uh, And, you know, I'm staring at the stars laying on my back and I'm just like roughing it like straight roughing it. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to puke. Right. And so it was funny because then I started to feel better. And, uh, you know, the effects start coming down after what seems like hours and hours. And uh, my buddy uh, who's from Mexico, he's like the biggest love beam you'll ever meet in your life. And uh, so he's dancing in little silkies, right? Like just dancing, like just going for it, right? Like this guy, the, the musician there, amazing friend of mine. He's like playing, he's one of them, him and his wife do the most incredible music I've ever heard, like literally angelic. I did a, uh, I was at a part of a cacao ceremony they did uh, there, but also more recently in Austin, Texas. And his wife's voice, I, I, like it is literally like an angel is speaking. Like her inflection and her articulation is perfect. And with her accent, it's just like unreal. Like I was like, wow, whatever that voice is, like unlocked codes in me. Like, I don't I still don't understand what happened. But but like, so he's dancing, just having the best time ever. And then uh the musician switches the tone. And all of a sudden I just like see him stop dancing, and he just goes. And just pukes directly into the fire, right, which is the most badass thing I've ever seen. And everyone's like, yeah, good purge. And, you know, Rachel had puked prior and she didn't again, we didn't know, like, is it like, you know, like, we didn't expect anyone would get mad at us. But we at the same time, we didn't know. So like she had puked over in the bushes. And, uh, and I'm, and they're, you know, basically after they're like, yeah, you're supposed to puke right on the fire. And I'm like, dude, that is the most metal thing I've ever heard in my life. That is so <laughs> rad. Like, just like, not only is it supposed to happen, but also you're supposed to puke directly on the fire in front of everyone. And I love that because it's essentially like it's purifying you. Right. Which again is what ayahuasca does too. Mm. And a lot of these different medicines do. But when I had done, uh, mushrooms, I, I finally was at the point where I understood enough about my own self and, You know, I was like, I am harboring a lot of stuff in here around my father passing away and, you know, like watching family members health deteriorate and taking a lot of that on and just, you know, like not even feeling like I couldn't cry because I was very fortunate. I grew up in a household where my mom and dad were always like very okay with however I showed up, you know? And so like, that was also part of it too, is like, why is this so hard for me? Like I shouldn't be, you know, I'm shooting all over myself, you know, like mm-hmm. it shouldn't be, there's no reason quote unquote, right. But it could be ancestral from eight lifetimes ago, who knows. Right. But yeah. so I set the intention. I was like, I want to feel it all. Like, I just want I want to, I want to feel it. I'm ready. And, uh, so we, we take a heroic dose of mushrooms and I, it's weird calling it that I'm just gonna call it five grams of mushrooms. So like, cause there's nothing really <laughs> heroic about it. Uh, Terrence McKenna uses that language, but like every time I say it, I'm like, eh, that's cringy, you know? So I took a large dose of mushrooms yeah. and, uh, and you know, I felt myself coming up. You know, the the werewolf stage, as I call it, where like you're, you know, you're shaking and you're yet to become into that realm. So you're like in the the bridge period of like between the normal state and the altered state. And so you're mm-hmm. shaking and you're kind of like, like you know, you're turning into the werewolf. And so uh, I hit myself with some hoppe and it was at that moment that I really realized what tobacco did, because it was like from like to just like i felt like frequency healing like literally i felt like i was a frequency yeah. that was just completely balanced and so i'm having this great time rachel and i lay in bed and you know i'm i'm having my uh, great time and she's off having her own experience right and i thought <laughs> this is like actually a funny thing to talk about i thought that she was like watching me because she was kind of like sitting up in bed and i was laying down and i was like completely surrendered like i was like i am a uh, goofball right now and i see her like like kind of like she, I thought she was looking at me, but really she was like in another parallel universe, just repeating a mantra to herself to kind of anchor herself as much as she could, because she was taking off. And, uh, Mm. and so she's sitting there and I'm just talking out loud, like expecting, like thinking she's listening. She's not at all. And so I come to this point where I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. Laughter is kind of like crying. And then boom. It was like, literally, I felt it shift. I felt it move inside of me. And I had the best cry. I hadn't cried literally like that in probably 15, 16 years. Uh, like I hadn't cried at all in probably like four or five years. Uh, I would even say maybe a little bit more since my dad passed. I had never had a big cry since that. And you know, the funny part about this is that during this, you know, Rachel's very like, you know, intimate and, you know, normally she would be hugging me and doing all these things. And you know, uh, which is amazing. And you know, exactly what I would want in that situation, but she wasn't right. She was like sitting there and what I thought was watching me. And I was like, wow. Like I literally remember saying, I like, wow, you're holding such good space for me. Like, this is amazing. Like I was like, literally thought she was the shaman bringing me through this stuff. And maybe she was who knows, but the whole time, like I'd be saying something, she'd be like, what? Huh? Uh, yeah. Okay. And then she'd immediately be gone again. And so like, I come out of it and I'm like, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And she's like, I don't remember any of that. And there was just like one of those (laughs) funny instances, man. So yeah, it's amazing. Like, you know, these medicines ability when in, when done intentionally, uh, to open stuff up. But the thing is that you have to really understand what, you know, can of worms you may be opening with that, you know, like at that point I was like, listen, the hell I'm living in daily. Like I'm ready to feel all of it. Right. But You know, there's ways Mm -hmm. to phrase that of like, I'm I'm ready to feel what I'm ready to feel, you know, like, and so, you know, there's different levels to this. Right. And of course, like, you know, depending on if you have a guide, like that can be a safer place to be like, I want to feel it all. Right. And so, you know, it's just, it's interesting. And I'm, it's, it's curious that we had a very similar experience. I feel like this is similar in a lot of men I talk to, you know, about being able to really tune in and uh, invoke emotions that are quote unquote, undesirable, you know, crying and all these things, but Mm -hmm. it's in those moments, like you were mentioning that we realized that Joseph Campbell was dead on when he said, blesses any emotion felt all the way through. Right.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. And having that feeling of complete love, like that is a feeling that you, you, you can't explain it until you have had that feeling. It It's every cell in your body is just lit up. And to me, having that cry and, and whatnot, that was true strength because it is, showing that vulnerability like how strong is it to be vulnerable in front of people that you don't even know or have you only just met for the first time to me if you're doing that as a man that is true strength and yes. i don't care what anyone says but if you haven't got vulnerability you can't speak or, or whatever you're just you know holding everything to yourself and you're not sharing then it's, it's pretty hard to grow as an individual you just kind of stay there and you'll, you'll sit in that misery and I find that psychedelics is such a cool gateway. It's so nice to step into that space. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but on the other side of that, it's nowhere near addictive whatsoever, a psychedelic experience. I am feeling called to it again. However, there's been things in that have, you know, it just hasn't felt the right time, but I'm not like craving to get my next hit of psychedelics. And especially if you have those those hard scenarios, after that you're probably going to be like, all right, I'll, I'll pump the brakes for a couple months after this. So I think that's something to, that we could dive into a little bit here. Is the other side of it is it's the is it addictive, and and what are the things that can come up? Is there anything that, from your experience, that have sat with you after psychedelic experiences on a negative? Because I've always had conversations around the positive. I have definitely had negative experiences and and more often the negative experiences have stemmed from not being in the right set or setting or consuming it when I wasn't aware of it, which we can, we can touch on that story at ADC after, after I, I hear a bit from you.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I wanted to touch on too, cause you brought something up for me. I got a download when you were talking about, you know, what real strength is, right. And think about this, right. In some way, shape, or form, I imagine most of us, I'm careful to say all because it's a big world, but I imagine most of mm. us have formed unconscious beliefs, no matter how amazing our lives have been, that we don't deserve love. Right. And so, mm. what is more strong in those moments to choose to feel all the love that we truly are? Right. Like, that is what really, what, when I experience crying and like surrendering, it's like, you know, it's almost like it's work to not feel the love. Right. It's work to not feel the love that we are. Right. We are like love is the governing force of the universe. So it's it's conscious work, right? Whether we realize it's unconscious work rather. You know, there's all these patterns and programs like, nope, can't feel that good. Nope, can't feel that good. Right. And so in that moment, we let it all go and we choose to feel it all. Right. And it's like those moments where our partner, you know, especially like, you know, as men, I imagine you do this with Sky and I do it with Rachel, where I can just tell when she's had a hard day. And it's like those times, you know she's such a workhorse. And I imagine Skye is too, you know, women are so strong. And, you know, there's those times where you're know, like, I know what she needs. She needs an Epsom salt bath and she needs to be pampered. Right. Like, and I'll be like, no, mm-hmm. you stay there. I'll go get everything. And she's like, but, but, but right. Like she's like, but no, right. Because she doesn't want to like make, make quote unquote me do that. But what we realize in that moment is that it's not, she's not making me do it. I'm doing it out of love. Right. And so it's like that same thing. Like When we're about to have that cry, it's like, no, but, but, but all these stories, like, I don't deserve to feel it. And and all of that finally just let, let's go. Right. And we're able to really tune into that beam of love, that infinite source of love that we truly are. And in that moment, that is the ultimate psychedelic experience. And you don't need to get there with psychedelics. So you can have this completely sober. Right. Like, but, it, I think yeah, yeah. I would argue that like love is the ultimate psychedelic because like there is no better feeling in the world, you know? And I wanted to touch on that. Cause I was just like, wow, mind revelation. <laughs> yeah, heart revelation, fully, man.
1: And that definitely brought it up for me too, because throughout psychedelic experiences for me, uh, that's when I've had complete awareness of that true love. And i got that from DMT. One of the first times that I did that, I, I had a pretty much it. What do you call it? Timeline therapy. So, literally, I just got, I felt like I'd been shoved into this ball of energy, this white ball that coursed through my body like a ping pong ball. It started going faster. And then I just went boost, like to all of the happiest moments in my life where I felt loved and that I had achieved something. So, I went to the first time that I scored a try in football, the first barrel that I came out of, like the first time that I got an A, all those types of things. That was my DMT experience. So, it's It's one thing to have awareness of that love, but I feel like the next challenge after that, just as you were saying then, and especially speaking as a man, it's hard to accept that love as well. So accepting it is the next challenge. And I, for one, I'll put my hand up that I've struggled quite a bit of accepting from others, accepting love, but that's a weird thing because you're like oh maybe I don't deserve that yet like and that's what that brought up for me and yeah. having acceptance like you know the love there but accepting it that's a, that's a bit of a challenge when you're telling yourself every day oh, I've got to work harder I've got to grind more I've got to make more money because of this I'll be happy when I do xyz and if this and the, that that's the hamster wheel that we find ourselves on quite quite regularly and I,
0: I still do it <laughs> yeah I mean I think it's you know, it's part of the human condition and you could relate it to karma. I imagine, right? Like, Hey, like when you come into this world, right? I'm going to abbreviate this, but like when you come into this world, there's essentially these things that you've led over in previous lives that have taught you not to love yourself. And so every lifetime you have the ability to, you know, get through one of them, to not get through any of them, to get through all of them. Right. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's all good. Right. Because what I choose to believe is we're infinite beings. And, you know, so it's really like soul school, right? How well, can you recognize who you, who and what you truly are, which is God in the human form, right? If everything comes from one source, right? You can call it Ensoft, If you're following the mystery school traditions, you could call it, you know, God, you could call it source universe, whatever, right? If everything comes mm-hmm. from that one source, everything in existence, then how is everything not God, right? Like that's the thing that, you know, really was like a huge revelation for me because I had heard that and I quantifiably could say it, right? I could say like, oh yes, like everything is God. That's what I believed. But to have the direct experience of that, right? Which is what we're talking about to actually feel what that is. I mean, it's it is the most electrifying, most euphoric, most ecstatic feeling possible, I think on the spectrum of feeling. And the funny thing is that it's not simply good, right? Like you can be feeling that pure love and be sad. You can be feeling that pure love and be angry. You can be feeling that pure love and have any of the other emotions, but love is the constant, right? Like in that situation. And I think that's like one of the coolest things I've realized is that, Hey, it's all good, right? Like if I'm feeling angry, great. Like emotions take 90 seconds. If we don't become attached to them to move through, right? So that's what you see a kid, they will be crying. And about 90 seconds later, they're laughing again. Right. And then they're crying again. And then they're, you know, they're, they're excited. I mean, they're just moving through things. Right. But to the degree Mm -hmm. that we take things personally is the degree to which those emotions then become a story, which then becomes a program, which then becomes a way of living. And I think that's one of the biggest, you know, things I've discovered. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, patterns of dependency, right. And this is something I love talking about. And it's something I talk a lot about with cannabis specifically, because, you know, while it does happen with things like ayahuasca and mushrooms, it's, it's harder to become uh, like dependent on those in the same way. Right. And, and I'll, and I'll actually break this apart because, what I actually believe is that nothing is truly addictive, right. In the sense of how we perceive addiction and for sake of this conversation, because it could be a big rabbit hole. We'll, we'll stick to plant medicines, right. Of course, there are things that are physiologically addictive, right. Opiates, um, you know, cocaine, things like that, but we're going to stick to plant medicines. That's, you know, what the podcast is, but like, (laughs) but you know, what I, what I think is, you know, that, that while like people are like, Oh, cannabis is addicting, right. I hear that a lot. It's like, yeah, that's just an externalization of personal power. You mean there's this demonic plant that's just seducing you into it or you're hurt and the feeling of comfort you gain from something like cannabis is addicting, right? Because you don't, you didn't know you could feel that Mm -hmm. good and you don't know how to feel that good in your typical state of reality. So then you externalize your power of, Oh, I can't feel that good unless I interact with cannabis or unless I eat sugary foods or unless I do, I mean, really anything in life. Right. And so While there are things that, yes, quantifiably are physiologically addictive, I think that in most cases, I've talked to many addicts that have been addicted to some of these actual physiologically addictive things, too. You know, they say that like kind of the easiest part and none of it is easy, right? So I don't want to trigger anyone with that word. But, you know, when I've talked to like one of my best friends went through heroin addiction and, you know, Mm -hmm. he he's told me he's like. He's like, listen, like the, the physiological addiction part sucks when you're getting clean, like it's terrible. Right. But that's not the hardest part. Like once you're through that, he's like, essentially like if that was all there was, you'd be done and you'd never want to do it again. Right. But there's something much deeper. Right. And so the deeper thing is like the patterns of hurt, right. The patterns of emotional stuckness, right. The, the feelings of Mm -hmm. discomfort and, and like in safety or, or not being, not feeling safe in your day-to-day life, those things are what lead people into things that ultimately help them feel safer, right? And so I think that's kind of how I would look at um, or how I choose to look at things like cannabis and psilocybin and ayahuasca is that by all means, like I know people that are like, oh, time for another ayahuasca ceremony. I'm like, didn't you just do that two weeks ago, right? And I'm not judging, but it's just an interesting observation. And I've seen both sides where someone's like, yes, this is what's right for me right now. And then they do that for about three months and then they don't sit with it for years after that. I'm like, oh, interesting. Mm. And then I see the other side where people are like doing it for, I mean, a year at a time and I can tell they're hurting underneath. Right. You know, we've talked about it and things like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting paradigm. And, uh, but what I, what I choose to believe, especially with cannabis is that, you know, but really with anything like we explored is that, you know, the feelings of comfort are what are addictive. And the more that we make these scapegoats in society of like, oh, you know, don't go into that because it's addicting. It's like, well, that's only that's that's not even the full equation, right? Like, you know, let's start teaching people about emotional awareness, right? And you know, how to make yeah. sure you feel your feelings and how to know the difference between getting called to one of these medicines and wanting to use it as in a form of escape, right? Like those are totally yeah. different energetic signatures that go into the equation.
1: Yeah, a coping mechanism or a healing mechanism, like you've got a choice there. And yes. if you're a person that does you know hasn't done any self-work or self-development to have any awareness of thyself and then you're going ahead and using cannabis and you're in a bit of a negative way and then you're like oh well I just got this big nice warm hug in the evening I can relax my brain switched off I can you know watch a bit of you know Joe Rogan or Netflix or something I'm chilled I'm gonna have a mad sleep and I get hungry cool perfect and then that's when it gets into the loop of over and over again of coping. And then that's not really having too much benefit other than just right then and there. And mm. that's the difference. And what you do with you connect with cannabis is, is smashing that stoner archetype, which you know, yes. I, I love that. Slogan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, bro, let, let's get into a couple of the experiences that I've had um, that weren't so positive as well. And I do want to touch on this because we, oh, yeah, we do have a lot of conversations around the positive stuff. However, my, my ayahuasca journey was quite tough up until it was amazing. Mm. And the same sort of thing, but it wasn't the, the, the times that I've had semi-negative experiences was when I've been using it as a party drug. And we connected straight away when we said that we'd both been to EDC. So, yes, interesting story with that one is when we're walking in, so we always did this with our mates is like, you know, you pull the short straw, you're the mule bringing all the stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> so my mate, he, he'd, he'd pulled the short straw. So he had to carry on the way. And so I was like, I was all good. Yeah. We'd had a, a few drinks leading in. And on the way there, he was real nervous about it for some reason, which is understandable. And when we got into EDC and then we're like, all right, cool. It's time for a bit of a dabble and we'll, we'll get a bit of vibes going, feeling good with some Molly. And, yeah, Craig was holding on to the package, and he went into his pants to grab it out, and he's like, "Oh, bro, I've dropped it." I was like, "Cause he was like quenching that much and like had that much like, stress about the other undies oh, and like on there." I was like, "Damn, bro, alright, cool." So we knew what we had then, but then we didn't have it. So what do we do? We were camping there, so we were like, "Okay, we'll spend a couple of hours around." go for a bit of a search, see if we can find anything. If not, we'll go back to the campsite, get some more and come back in. And I came across, i just seen this one guy and I was like, yeah, he's, he's the guy, he's got something for sure. So I went over, had a bit of a yarn to him and he's like, bro, he's like, these things are amazing. Um, Here, do you want to try some? I was like, cool. And it, he ended up giving us some pills. We thought that they were MDMA. So they were actually Tesla pills. So he's like, dude, they're the perfect design of ecstasy. And I was like, "That sounds great, cool. <laughs> I'll give it a try." <laughs> You're really so, selling this, luckily, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Cool. Well, I'll have half just because you know I didn't want to send it straight away at the start of the day." However, we we had our second half when David Guetta came on, and it was just it, we both just went beyond, and I was like. This feels a bit more than MDMA because I'm, or this is some really strong MDMA that's getting me into this hallucinogenic sort of feel. Mm. And anyway, like Craig, my friend, he just, he didn't handle it very well. So that was the experience there. And I had to like walk him out. And by this time, I was literally like hallucinating big time. And we'd had a fair bit of terps throughout the day, like drinking and whatnot. And this is when it started to go into a bit of a negative loop. He was like not in a good way. So I was trying to support him and be there as his, his guide. Yeah. And we weren't aware of it, but looking up the Tesla pill and the ones that we actually had, it was a type of acid that we'd consumed. So mm. it was acid mixed with MDMA, which was a whole nother experience than just MDMA. And when you're not aware of consuming a psychedelic and then you're in the in the depths of it especially at somewhere like edc there's some scary shit yes <laughs>
2: um
1: so that was a bit of a that was the first day at edc for us and i had i still had a great time because i was just like just loving the moment the energy and i was just like i'm just surrendering to this da-da-da. and but when we did get back to the campsite when i wasn't in that like high energy sort of vibe I had some wild stuff going through my brain then and I did not sleep a wink that night. And it was just mm. a battle. I was like looking at Craig, just like, is he going to be all right? Am I going to be all right? And that was like the loop that I was going on in. So that we've got to be aware that there is, you know, circumstances that can be not, not so blissful. <laughs> with yes. psychedelics, so. Yeah.
0: And you know, that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, that I find again with prohibition, right. Is that like, you know, we now see what's able to be done with cannabis, right? You were in Las Vegas, right? And so, you know, we were talking before we record about like, hey, there's dispensaries there, right? And and again, in America, mm-hmm. like they're everywhere at this point. But it's one of the best things because, you know, back in the day, cannabis would get laced with PCP. And even these days, people have been finding it laced with fentanyl. I don't know who the hell is doing that or why, but mm. um, but there's these scary things that happen, right? And yet now, You know, unless you're, you choose to make that decision and buy it off someone you don't know, you can go to a dispensary, you know, it's come from a registered place, right? You don't know the energy of the grower who grew it, but you know, it's not going to be pure poison, right? So, you know, you can, you can grab your medicine and you can go enjoy life, right? In whatever way you want to, right? As a conscious sovereign being. And I think this is one of the biggest annoyances that I find with prohibition is like, once again, it's like, guys, people aren't going to stop doing these things, just make it safe. And you can tax the hell out of it, right? Like do whatever you want to make your money and whatever, right? But just ensure people are going to be safe doing it because they're not going to stop doing it, you know? I mean, especially at music festivals. I mean, you know, the the culture yeah. there is can be really toxic sometimes, right? Because, you know, people are making some really interesting life decisions, right? And and you know, I've seen some I've seen some shit at music festivals, right? Like just people mm. like you know the way that people uh drink when you're in high school or college where it's like I can drink more than you when you get into those kind of like pissing contests with other types of things, and I've watched these things go down where it's almost just a, I can't even laugh at it. Uh, Like you could, you know, when you're in high school and people are doing that, you're kind of laughing. You're a little nervous for them. But like, when I see that happen, I got to get the hell out of there because I'm like, that is some dark Mm. shit that I do not want to be a part of. And, uh, and it's straight up scary, you know, because people are messing with their lease on reality, you know, like, and, and a lot of times, like, you know, while festivals are amazing, they are, you know, a lot of high stimulation, right? And so you think about an upregulated state of conscious, I mean, of uh, your nervous system, where you are releasing cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline, right, which aren't inherently bad, but then you're mixing these other things in. And a lot of times, like, you know, it seems like you guys prepared, you know, in in a good fashion, right? Like, you know, I imagine you ate well, you had water, things like that. But I mean, again, I've seen some people that I'm just like, I don't want to be near you because I don't want to have to go through the trauma of having someone die next to me. Like, and that is a really scary feeling to have, you know? And, and yeah, that's why like, you know, these days, like I, I pick and choose what festivals I go to, um, you know, EDC was amazing, but there was a lot of that energy there. And there's just so many people too. It's like a Mm -hmm. little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gone to some others that are smaller and, you know, it's just like easier to find people that are like, yeah, we're at a smaller festival because we know our shit. Right. And most of the time, but I think a lot of the times these bigger festivals can bring in some challenges. And, you know, I mean, we hear what happened recently with the whole astral world thing, you know, whatever conspiracy you want to believe or whatever people ended up dying. Right. Who knows why, but, uh, it's not a, you know, it's, it's, you know, to put it in a comedic light, it's definitely a buzzkill to put it in a not comedic light. It's very traumatizing, you know? And so, mm. uh, you know, I'll take things I never want to experience for 500. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, yeah. you know, these things are so important to talk about. And it's one of the, you know, the best reasons that I have found that I love doing this podcast is so much you know, is because I can really, you know, illuminate these things, right. With the guests and, you know, be able to hear these stories where yes, you know, you experience pure love. Right. But also, you know, these are others other times where, yeah, things got challenging. Right. And it's important to understand that those are possibilities because when you understand the full range, then you're mm. better equipped or more well-equipped to be able to make a conscious decision. Right. And use discernment of like, is this worth it right now? Is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. Right. And so I love these kinds of stories, man. You know, it's one of the main reasons I made this podcast and this platform <laughs> is to hear them. <laughs>
1: yeah man absolutely and that comes back to a thing that i always touch on is without experiencing like both sides of the story like in that edc setting and then in the ceremonial ayahuasca setting you can't really pick and choose your middle road that best fits for you i'm not saying go ahead and take some acid and go to a massive festival and then go to an ayahuasca retreat just so that you can pick the middle ground but (laughs) without having both of those experiences You don't get the full range of understanding of it. But again, I'm nowhere near the full range of understanding it, but I I know it from both different types of set and setting, what type of experience that I'm going to get. And I'm definitely one that would rather sit in that ceremonial nice set and setting so that I've got intentions towards what I want to get out of the medicine and and those types of things rather than I'm just going to chuck some down my gob and hope for the best and have a good time. Um, Like there's, There's different outcomes there. (laughs) Yes, dude, 100%, you know,
0: and, uh, you know, it it reminds me that, you know, really, it's, you know, whether it's direct experience, or whether it's like informational, it's education, right? Like, you know, sometimes, like, again, before the internet was here before, you know, uh, books were a big thing. I mean, we're talking ancient, ancient times, people would try things out, and they would learn from them, right? But the great thing about the modern day is that we don't need to necessarily do that trial by fire to understand things, right? So, you know, that's why, like, you know, I feel like the real subject we're talking about here is surrounding harm reduction, right? It's like, hey, if people are going to do these things, statistically, it's showing that even with prohibition, people are interacting with these medicines, then how can we, you know, operate in a way that reduces the most harm, right? And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I love this with, you know, DanceSafe, you know, they're a company that goes around, I think they're at EDC, and they're at a lot of different music festivals I go to where, you know, they actually get a lot of flack for doing this, but they basically what they do is they'll set up a tent and they'll offer free testing, right? For anyone who, you know, gets stuff on site and, and it's ridiculous, you know, and I get it from the festival, you know, uh, uh, creator's point of view, like, Hey, they don't want to be associated with that. But how ridiculous is that? Right. That like, we're actually being presented with a real life solution of like, Hey, we know you're going to do it. So when you get it, come here first and at least figure out what you got. Right. And this is one of the biggest things I loved about Shambhala up in British Columbia. And I just had this conversation Mm -hmm. with someone yesterday on this podcast, but I'll I'll say it again because it's worth repeating is that at this festival, you know, I don't know how they pull it off law wise, but but you know, they they ban alcohol, right? So there's no alcohol allowed to be used. They don't sell any alcohol, nothing, right? And on the other side, Mm -hmm. they 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 pretty much give a free-for-all for uh medicine use but you know what they do is you know obviously if you get caught selling or anything like that it's still a no-no right so they're not like saying you can do that but you know as someone who came from america right i obviously didn't bring anything with me there was no way to bring cannabis or anything else you know I was able to go to their testing sites, right? They have these beautiful, like really high end drug testing stations where of course you're going to find stuff randomly there. And then you can go get it tested with like, I'm talking really expensive equipment and they will tell you exactly Mm. what's in it. And they're not going to take it from you. Like, Oh, this is bad. Like they're just going to tell you like, Hey, this is what's in that medicine. And then you can take it and do what you want with it. Right. And so in that I saw so few instances of people having a challenging experience, because they knew what they Mm. were getting into. And it's like, oh, it's so wild, because it's common sense. And it actually works. It's like, it's a weird, you know, ideology to, you know, follow in today's world of just say no, you know, uh, it's the complete opposite, where it's like, hey, people are going to say yes. So make sure that they are, you know, having the safest precautions and the safest ways in which to use these medicines, where at worst, they're just going to realize I didn't like that experience, right? at best, they might have an incredible thing, but they're not going to have so long as they make smart decisions with in terms of dosing and things like that. They're not going to die, right? They're not going to have an experience that Mm -hmm. changes their life forever in a really negative way. And so that's what I really liked about those platforms. So we know it works. You know, it's definitely out there. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's starting to become common in australia not that we're having festivals at the moment with all the stuff that's going on but you know like that that is something that has come up is having those testing stations there and i, I love that that that's there but it's the half of the challenge is getting people to go and test their stuff before consuming it as yes. well because that's that's another barrier there Yeah. going into that because you feel like you're going to get in trouble by the the cops because you're just admitting i've got some stuff on me I want to test it before I consume it, mm. and it's just like it's a bit of a barrier to get over there. But I, I do love that that is at festivals as well because that is you know one of the naturopathic principles like right? first do no harm, and then you doctor as teacher. So just by having those drug stations there is you're reducing the harm that can actually occur by consuming these these drugs, whatever it is at that festival, and then we're educating the people what's actually in their drugs as teacher then you're then you're aware of what you're
0: consuming which is is massive yeah man you know it's it's exactly the change i want to see in the world at large you know because you know we are moving into a time where you know it's like guys are we really that naive with all this amazing technological advancement which actually is truly technologically amazing what we've done but yet like I feel like humans as a species a lot of times are like, well, look at look at how much science we have. And it's like, yeah, and look how stupid you still are. Like, how look how much how look how little common sense you still have. Yeah, sure. We can go to the moon and do all these things, but we can't still understand that people are going to do these things regardless. And you should make sure that they're not killing themselves doing it, so long as they're actually taking the initiative to go get it tested and everything. And so yeah, it's a it's an interesting paradox. And You know, it's something that, you know, I really do feel the tide is turning on and I'm really excited to see what continues happening. And, you know, man, this has been an amazing ride, dude. I'm so excited we got to do this, man. I got to hear your stories. We got to laugh, of course, the cosmic giggles that you and I always have together. And I want to make sure people know where they can find you, uh, where they can connect with you, where they can learn from you, uh, drop everything you got, my man.
1: Well, man, thank you very much for the invitation there. So yeah, first things first is you can get in touch with me. Predominantly, I'm most active on Instagram. I've actually been in, in a bit of a my own bubble working on online assets, as we were talking about prior to this. So yeah. if you want to get in contact with me, it's at break.plateaus. That's my brand. And same with my website. It's www.breakplateaus.com. It's, they're the two best places to get me. Or my podcast as well, which is the the Break Plateaus show. And yeah, that that's, that's where you can find me.
0: Beautiful, man. And my last question for you, Ty, is this If someone listening was just swayed by you to experience psychedelic medicines for the first time, what is the one piece of advice that Ty Nicholson would offer them in order to allow them to have the smoothest experience possible?
1: Um, My advice around that would be educate yourself around whatever you are wanting to partake in, and then finding out that guide. If you're going to have your first experience, having an understanding on what the possibilities are of that experience is one great spot to start, having awareness around it. Then after that, having someone guide you through that, then you can have that acceptance of whatever that experience is and know that you're going to be safe. So to me, that is, that is where I'd go with it. If it's your first experience, choose a, choose a great guide and educate yourself around that substance.
0: I love that, man. Yeah, I really couldn't think of any better advice myself. And guys, what did I tell you? Can you believe that Ty and I first spoke a mere six weeks or so ago? For me, this is proof that the idea of connection does not have to solely be based on the length of time two people have known each other, but rather can be based on how well they are able to speak one another's energy fluently. I choose to believe that each of our individual energy is a unique language that, similar to when we find someone in a foreign country who speaks our native tongue, is an instant source of deep connection. Thai is a perfect example of someone who has journeyed to the far reaches of the universe as a cosmic cowboy, both in his sober state of reality and with the aid of plant medicines, and has come back with infinite wisdom to share with the world at large. One of the unique things I love about Thai as you may have noticed within the episode and how he spoke of his experiences and lessons learned as a result of them, is that while these experiences have had no shortage of profound and awe-inspiring realizations associated with them, he has been able to capture them and articulate them in a way that, once again, creates an energetic signature that anyone in the same frequency whether sober or sitting in ceremony with plant medicines can benefit from in their individual experience of life. Ty is devoted to being of service in a myriad of ways in the world. And for anyone looking to dive in deeper to the many mysteries of life and be able to make sense of them in a coherent manner, Ty is the man for that mission. Ty, thank you so much for being my cosmic Australian brother, for being a guiding light for so many to gain inspiration and wisdom from. And for giving me the gift of the Cosmic Giggles time and time again. And until next time, my brother, may your journey be smooth and full of light.
1: Aho. Aho, brother. Thank you very much. True love. True love.